I'm Gary. And you are listening to Norma Jean, Discovering Truth, the companion podcast for episode four, My Life Was Kind of Grim, part one. And as we all know, we don't just come up with these titles just because there is a reference of why we chose this title. So Gary, where does this title come from and why did we choose it? Well, in 1962, Marilyn did an interview for Richard Merriman for Life magazine on the topic of fame. And uh, she talked about her early childhood and referenced it as her life being kind of grim. And this interview was published just days before Marilyn passed. So this is her own words. Wow. Yeah, that's a pretty strong word when you say grim and think about what that means. So uh, that she still, at this point, shortly before her death, that she still felt that way. And we thought that was a good place to start with the story because a lot of times as a writer, you start at the end and you go back to the beginning. So that's kind of what we did with that comment. And in the beginning of the episode, we hear the scene where Marilyn is actually with a realtor, and she's looking at the house that she purchased near the end of her life and what she was thinking about at the time. And I really felt it was a good bookend to exploring her family history, uh, her mother especially in this episode, and her mother's life and what that was like before her mental illness had become serious. So, Gary, what were the reasons that you thought that this would be a good episode to explore? Well, Marilyn had a nomadic life, and she had an unstable home, multiple placements. And so toward the end of her life, Marilyn was really trying to lay down roots and establish some kind of stability as a divorced woman with no children during an era when a woman's uh, life was defined by her husband, children, and family. And so Dr. Greenson had prescribed a home for Marilyn. She was living in a very depressing studio efficiency on on Doheny Drive. And so the house becomes kind of a metaphor. You know, this woman trying to establish some kind of foundation midlife at 35, 36 years old. We know the outcome, you know, that she was under renovations in this home and the house was somewhat unfinished. And then she passed. So it becomes a metaphor for her unfinished life. Yeah, I think she was trying to rebuild her life with especially seeing Joe DiMaggio, which we talk about in episode one and two, and we show that. And also, I I find it very interesting, you know, with the the saying at the front doorstep, too, in the front of the house. I find that really so prophetic, right, Gary? Cursuum perficio. Yeah, which is My journey ends here. That is so prophetic and strange. It really is. And, you know, I think for people that are listening to these episodes, I find it just amazing that this woman actually achieved anything given what we're hearing from her childhood, right? In regards to the Bollingers and Gladys and Grace and the changing of houses. Um, Gary, talk a little bit about the Bollingers a little bit more. Tell us about Marilyn's experience living there. Marilyn's mother, Gladys, was a working woman and unable to care for Norma Jean. So she made arrangements for Norma Jean to live with the Bolanders, who were actually the neighbors of her own mother, Marilyn's grandmother. Mrs. Bolander was hard of hearing, so it made communication rather difficult. Uh, it was also a very rigid household with very strict religious rules and the use of excessive corporal punishment. No music was allowed in the house. 
weren't allowed to see films, no dancing. And so this was a very rigid environment. And the Bolanders took care of children of working women and also children in foster care. And so some of the children in the home actually were later adopted by the Bolanders. So those children were allowed to call them mommy and daddy. Oh, that to me is just, when I hear that, I go, what a stepchild type of feeling Marilyn must have felt. Like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I call you mommy or daddy? I mean, that's Why wasn't I chosen? Yeah, she wasn't allowed to call them mom and dad because she she had a mom who came to visit on Saturdays, but she didn't have an attachment with that woman. And her mom was beginning to have mental illness. And so it was very difficult for Gladys to connect with her child. She was kind of a stranger, a visitor. But to little Norma Jean, Ida was her mom and she wanted the approval and, and love of Ida. So let's talk a little bit about Gladys and Grace, because they seem to form a really quick relationship. Well, in the early film industry, we kind of set the stage by what was going on in Los Angeles at that time. And Gladys and Grace worked at Consolidated Film Industries. So Consolidated was a part of the early studio system at that time. And we go into, you know, what was going on in different studios that existed, which are not the same as they were even in subsequent decades. They were named differently. So this is around 1923, as I remember, Gary. Yeah, early 20s. This was a a time of great economic prosperity in the United States. Los Angeles was developing. The film industry was exploding. And women like Gladys and Grace worked in predominantly a female industry, a female trade as film cutters. And this was pretty much the only industry in, in film where women had such power And they were actually leading film editors who were women at the time. Well, it's really interesting, too. If you fast forward to 1944, Marilyn had a letter to Grace. Can you speak to that? That was confusing to me, too, in terms of how she viewed Grace. She really looked at Grace as a almost like a mother figure, right? Well, Grace became her guardian. And when Marilyn's mother was institutionalized, Grace ensured that Norma Jean did not go into the foster care system. So although Grace wasn't able to care for Norma Jean herself at that time, she worked very hard to place Norma Jean with her various relatives, um, which didn't always work out. She turned to co-workers and friends and relatives to care for Norma Jean. And, And Marilyn really appreciated Grace, because she knew that if it were not for Grace's commitment to her, despite all of the chaos in Grace's life, Norma Jean would (laughs) have wound up in an orphanage. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And ultimately, um, when she was a teenager, that would have been her fate if Grace had not made other arrangements for her. So I think the great testament that Marilyn makes is that she chose to be buried at the cemetery where Grace and all of Grace's relatives are interred. I find it really interesting, though, Gary, that there wasn't a little bit more of resentment, especially when Grace couldn't come to see her, etc. And, you know, I don't want to give it away for the other episodes, but we're going to hear some of the stuff that, you know, she'd actually dropped the ball on a couple of things and made choices that, in my opinion, for somebody that's been abused and stuff, I'm surprised she didn't feel more resentful of Grace. Well, that's what's so amazing about Marilyn. She never became hardened or embittered. She had great admiration and appreciation for Grace. She Mm -hmm. also had a very low self-esteem. So she kind of understood that Grace would choose her husband and her husband's children over her. 
She didn't wow. even have an expectation that she should matter all that much, Ouch. which is extremely sad. Hey, Randall, yeah. what was your feeling of Della as we kind of dove into writing this episode? Researching about her and looking at her past history and where she came out of, which we talked about a little bit in episode three, the decisions that women had to make to survive in that period of time in the early 1900s and the 1920s, most of these women came, and their parents, they came out of the era where America was still a wilderness. They were pioneers. So this is, I think, a struggle for women to come out of that history in their family and to live in a metropolitan city uh, with all sorts of new challenges. And I think there was a lot of struggles and confusion and the boom happening in America at that time on many different levels. There was new technological developments. There was, society was changing. Culture was changing. Economics were changing. And of course, this was the period right after World War I that we're talking about here. So that was another change that happened in the world where people were seeing the world and their place in it very differently. So all of that was going on. You have to remember your history to understand the context of where America was, and especially Los Angeles in 1923, and the explosion of the film industry, because a lot of L.A. at that time was still agricultural. Yeah, that, that's very true. And, you know, the other thing, Gary, explaining Della to the audience, they got to experience a little bit of her, but, you know, how she survived in the world, what Randall was kind of alluding to. Tell us a little bit about her kind of life path, I, I think if you just list it out, people are going to get a really big perspective back to that legacy and how the legacy continues if somebody in the family doesn't break the chain. So Della was navigating through these very challenging times as she's developing a mental illness of her own. So you could imagine how overwhelming that might be. But Della's father suffered from mental illness and ultimately took his own life. And so her parents were divorced during the Victorian period, which was not the norm. And so Della partnered with her first husband, who was 10 years older than she was. And she was married multiple times, which was also kind of unusual during that era. And she had Gladys and another child, her son, Marion. And so as Gladys was growing up, Della was involved with men who were violent uh, yeah. One of her husbands actually killed Gladys's pet kitten. And Gladys yeah. herself was married at 14 years old. And Della uh, modified uh, her age on the marriage certificate to uh, make her appear to be an adult. But Gladys was actually pregnant at 14. Wow. She had her first child six months later at the age of 15. And she had her daughter at 17. And by 19, Gladys was already divorced. So if you think about it in today's standards, she's just a baby trying to make it in the world. And, and mm -hmm. Della, like Gladys, ended up in an institution as well. Exactly. And, and going back to Gladys, her first husband was significantly older than she was. And by today's standards, that would be considered statutory rape. Wow. So as we kind of close out this episode, guys, is there anything else that we want to cover in this one so the audience can get a kind of clear picture of how we chose what we chose and get a little bit more behind the scenes background on this episode? Well, one of the things that I felt was a point in the story is to introduce the society background. What was going on in society and culture at that time? How did these women 
live and, and start to build relationships and start to build families. And so that's why we talked about Gladys's history of unstable relationships and marriages and what was going on in the company and other men that she had a relationship with where she worked and one of those men, Charles Stanley Gifford. So where that started, uh, where that relationship may have started and how it may have started. So I think that's one of the points that we wanted to give both the background and give an idea of what was going on in Gladys's life, like how did she become pregnant? So all of that is in the episode. I mean, we did a lot of research on this and a lot of it's in your book, Icon, because we're going to be going further with Marilyn's father and other episodes. Well, it strikes me that this episode is acknowledging and honoring the resilience of women during that period. And, you know, these women struggled. These were difficult times. They did not have traditional families. These were broken homes, men that abandoned their families. And divorce. You don't really hear a lot about that back in the 1920s, right? And it's easy for, uh, especially during the period, for there to be a lot of judgment on these women. I would want to reframe that these women were strong. They were resilient. They did the best that they could with the resources that they had. And we have to respect and honor that. Well, I think that given the fact that this is part one, My Life Was Kind of Grim, you can go uh, and now listen to episode five, My Life Was Kind of Grim, part two. And as always, remember to hold a great thought for Marilyn, but hold a good thought for yourself, too. 